0: As Joshua mentioned, uh, we have a partnership with College Park going back several years. Uh, for a couple years, we allowed them to use this room on Thursday nights for worship rehearsal because their Fishers Church plant didn't have a building. So they had nowhere to practice. So we would allow them to practice here. Uh, and since then, uh, we've continued to be in touch with College Park. We've worked with them on and off for various things they need to use a building for. And they've been here quite a bit. Um, and in return, uh, two or three, maybe four times now, College Park has sent us guest worship leaders. And we've needed a worship leader or in this case, a guest preacher when we need a preacher. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff Brown, give him a warm welcome. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear a good sermon from him today. So Jeff, take it away. Right. Good morning. Good morning. You guys hear me well. All right, perfect. So for starters, again, thank you, Ben, for the introduction. I thank you guys for having me here. Um, My name is Jeff Brown. I'm at College Park Church, a pastoral resident. Just going to introduce my family a little bit as well, so you guys can get to know me a little bit. This is my wife and my son. My wife Sarah and my son Trip. He's actually Jeffrey Allen Brown the third. What we call him Trip Triple. So he's the third. So um, he actually kept us up. Real late last night, <laughs> give me grace just in case I doze off. No, um, but thank you guys for having me. And um, what we'll do, I'll pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for another day. God, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. God, to be able to come into this building and worship you together. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that led us into worship with the songs. And even our brother, Ben, who lead us into communion to remember what you've done for us. God, we pray as we dive into your word this time, that as we listen to your word, it will sharpen our hearts, but also give us comfort and draw us closer to you. God, we thank you for all you've done and all you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I know I can be long-winded, so I'm going to keep my eye on the clock. How many times have you heard someone say or even said to yourself, not to yourself, but to a kid, maybe a spouse, or I don't know, whoever it is, be a leader and not a follower? How many times have you said that? Maybe even heard it said to yourself, I would submit to you that the problem isn't that being a follower is wrong. There isn't anything inherently wrong or less than being a follower versus a leader. However, the problem lies with who or what we tend to follow. There was a time where I decided to follow someone, and in the end, it did not end up well for my wife and I. I decided to follow the voice navigation on Google Maps. (laughs) I thought in my mind, Google Maps, you've never failed me. You won't fail me now. My wife and I were headed to our honeymoon, so first week us being married. We're actually thinking about, hey, let's do something. We're away from everybody for a week, so let's go to the mountains. So we decided to go to the Smoky Mountains. And in going to the Smoky Mountains, as we're getting ready to go there, type in Google Maps, our address, boom, put it in. Google Maps says you'll be here in about eight, nine hours. Now, probably against my dad's wishes, he says, Watch should you ever trust that electronic thing? Get you an atlas. Didn't listen to him. Maybe I should have. So we're heading there, heading our drive on the way to the Smoky Mountains. And we get to about Tennessee and the border of Tennessee and North Carolina where our destination was about maybe an hour, two hours uh, away. And once we got to the mountains, Google Maps gave me two options. It said, you know what, Jeff, if you want to save an hour, go this direction. But if you want to wait an extra hour, maybe an hour and a half, go this direction. I said, Google, I trust you. I'm taking the faster route there. Bad idea. Bad idea. We're approaching the Smoky Mountains. My wife and I, first day, being married, driving to the Smokies. We get there, and we take the worst road possible. We literally go right smack dab through the Smoky Mountains in order to get to our cabin, which is at the peak of the mountains. So this road was probably the worst road I've ever seen. We probably could drive max 10 to 15 miles per hour. We're in a Dodge Charger, which is obviously a four-door big car, and every little slight and turn, we're hitting it. And to add on top of that, my wife... It's car sick. So we're making all these little winding stops, and there's only two lanes our lane and lane coming back. I'm nervous, I'm scared. I'm a city boy. I've never drove in the mountains a day in my life. So I'm scared, I'm nervous. My wife's like, hey, stop for a second. So we stopped maybe three or four times. So if she thought she might get sick. And then to add on top of that, there's about 40 or 50 motorcycles passing us by. And not only are they passing us by, they're yelling at us, get out of the way. I'm like, sorry, don't know what I'm doing. And I thought, let me look up this place that we ended up taking. So I looked it up later on. Let me read you a little details about this place. If you're looking for an adrenaline-filled adventure in the Smoky Mountains, it's hard to beat the tail of the dragon. This 11-mile section of U.S. Route 129 has become a hugely popular destination for motorcyclists and sports car drivers. We're in neither one. (laughs) Featuring 318 curves, this winding mountain road is unlike anywhere else in the world. Bordering the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and Cherokee National Forest, this road has no houses, no driveways, no businesses, or intersecting roads. With its thrilling twists and turns, the road takes its name from its resemblance of a curvy dragon's tail. So, I'm a Christian. Google, I'm a Christian. In Revelation 12, it says the dragon is Satan. Why would you send me on dragon's tail? It took me there. And I'm like, man, this is the worst thing possible. Like, I hated this. So me and my wife, we decided while we were up in our cabin, we're not taking that road on the way back. So, see, it's not necessarily wrong to be a follower. The problem is when we tend to follow leaders or ideas that in the end lead us to despair, disaster, or hopelessness. Here in John 1, we'll find that there is someone we should follow. And in following him, we find something more precious, more treasured than anything we could have imagined. And with this person, it is better for us to be a follower than a leader. So, who is this person in John 1 that we should follow? The kindergarten class says, Jesus. Jesus. Therefore, our text today will teach us what does it mean to follow Jesus. So, before we dive into John 1, let me give you a brief overview of the Gospel of John. John, the son of Zebedee, was one of the twelve apostles, disciples of Jesus. He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. The Gospel of John is a book of signs and truths written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We get that out of John 20, verse 31. To put it more plainly, this gospel is written in simple form so that the reader will understand what it means to have eternal life. You will either choose to live in darkness or the light. John is intentional to give you two options either right or wrong. Good or evil, dark or light, light or death. And the only way to have this life, according to John, is to believe that Jesus is the unique son of God and the Messiah of the Old Testament. So today we'll see that to believe in Jesus is also to follow him. With that, let's turn to our text. John 1, we'll start in verse 43. I'll give you a couple seconds to go there. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. So we'll divide this text into three sections, and that'll help us navigate through the text. In verses 43 through 46, we'll see following Jesus means discipleship. Verses 47 through 49, following Jesus means worship. And then finally, in verses 50 and 51, we'll see following Jesus means greater things. So, let's dive in. First, following Jesus means discipleship. Here in verse 43 through 46, we see one of the first examples of discipleship. It actually starts back a little earlier in verse 35 when John the Baptist is actually with two of his his disciples and he tells them, behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, this is the one I was telling you about. This is the Jesus that you need to really follow. And then what happens? One of those two men named Andrew, Andrew goes and finds his brother. And he goes to find his brother Simon. And he's like, Simon, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Simon, that's actually Peter, as we'll learn. And then Jesus finds Philip, and he tells Philip, follow me. And Philip's like, okay, and he follows him. Then Philip finds Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, what? Jesus of Nazareth? What good can come out of Nazareth? And then eventually Nathaniel comes to faith as well. So here's my point. Following Jesus was never intended to be an isolated event or experience. It was meant to be a reality that was so impactful So wonderful that you can't help but to share it with others. This is exactly what happens with these men. They see Jesus, they meet him, and they're like, this Jesus, he's good, he's glorious. I want to follow him. And what does that naturally do? Well, they're like, i got to share it with others. So John the Baptist tells his disciples, they tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else. And what happens? We're seeing discipleship, we're seeing evangelism unfold for the first time in the Gospel of John. It is natural that we cannot keep our mouths closed when we love something. give you an example. Last year, May, I believe May of 2017, Avengers came out. Avengers Affinity War. Now, maybe I'm the only guy here that loves Marvel, but, man, we have been waiting almost a decade, it seemed like, to get the culmination of what Marvel was doing in Infinity War. So, finally, the movie comes out. I was there at the preview. Don't judge me. I'm a nerd when it comes to Marvel. So I'm getting there, I'm like, man, I can't wait to see this. And it did not fail me. Infinity War, top three movies of all time for me now. At least top five. But I loved it, man. I said, man, this movie was so good. They had everybody in it. Iron Man, Black Panther, Thor, everybody, everybody killed it. And Thanos, I can't stand Thanos. But the movie was good. I loved it. I loved this movie so much. It was so good. I talked about it for the next two or three weeks. My wife got tired of it. She's like, Jeff, shut up about Avengers. I'm like, I can't stop, babe. I cannot stop telling everybody about it. So if you came up to me and talked to me, i was say, hey, have you seen Avengers yet? No. Okay, well, depart from me. Leave me alone. Because <laughs> it was good. I could not help but to tell everybody about Avengers. I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to share my theories about what happened. I loved it that much. I could not stop but sharing it. So this is one example. Maybe you can't relate to that. Another example, August 15, 2017, my son, Tripp, was born. I was in love with my son. Like, even before he was there, I heard his heartbeat, and I cried. I'm like, man, I cannot wait to meet this little guy. And if he comes here, beyond all my expectations, how can he be this cute coming from me? Had to come from his mom. But I loved him. I love him. I mean, I love this little guy. I was taking pictures of him all the time. Loved him so much, I actually made his own Instagram page. <laughs> he actually has more followers than me and his mom, but it's okay. <laughs> Uh, but I love this little guy. If you met me, it'd take, what, one or two minutes, and i say, hey, you know I got a son? Let me show you a picture of my son. I told everybody about him. Look, I love this. Look at him. He should be so cute. I loved him. This is what should happen, except infinitely more, when we come to know Jesus. He's more glorious than a movie. He's more glorious than even my son or than a spouse. He's more glorious than a football team or basketball team. Some of us, we don't get hyped about movies, maybe even our kids. But when it comes to our sports, we get hyped. Maybe it's your job. I I just made this great deal. I did this. You get hyped. Maybe it's about something else, whatever it is. Jesus is more glorious and he's more precious than anything we can imagine, anything that we boast in. Jesus is more glorious So the question is, does your actions show that you believe in this truth? Does it show that you see Jesus as treasure and beautiful? If so, when was the last time you shared with a co-worker the love you have for Christ? When was the last time you invited those weird neighbors who always do whoever knows what they do in their yard over for dinner? So you could share with them your love for Christ, build a relationship with them and show them about Christ. When was the last time? Or when was the last time you invested a year, two years, three years in someone's life to help them grow in their relationship with Christ? This is what following Jesus is about. It's about seeing Christ's beauty and helping others to see that beauty as well. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's not always going to be easy. It may not be easy. Some people, they may reject you. They may scoff at you. They may talk about you for being a Christian and trying to show your faith, And they're going to say, you're weird. I mean, look at the example we see with these first couple of disciples. I mean, four or five of them, they hear about Jesus, and they're like, yeah, we're following him. Cool, we're going. Nathaniel, on the other hand, is like, Jesus of Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? Nathaniel, he's more of a skeptic. There will be many excuses that people will use to discredit who Jesus is. Is he reliable? Can he really change my life? Does he really forgive everything, like, like even the bad stuff that I've done and nobody knows except for me? Is Jesus really worth it? Can he do that? At the end of the day, your job is not to convince or make someone believe in Jesus. Your job as a Christian is to invite others to learn about Jesus, and when they learn about him, they will see for themselves that he is everything that a broken soul needs. This is why, when Nathaniel asks, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip responds simply He says, Come and see. In other words, come and see for yourself. You want to see if he's worth it? Come and see for yourself. And this is what you do as a follower of Jesus. You spend your whole life coming and seeing that Jesus is good and helping others come and see that Jesus is worth it. In other words, to truly follow Jesus is to live on missions and to invite others to follow Jesus as well. Your life becomes discipleship when you follow Christ. So secondly, following Jesus means worship. Verses forty seven through forty nine. So we see Nathaniel is coming toward him, and um, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? And Jesus like, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel flip flops, turns all the way around, and now he's like, Oh my goodness, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Nathaniel went from being a skeptic to in awe of Christ. Jesus says two sentences to Nathaniel, and he went from agnostic to charismatic. What changed in Nathaniel's mind about Jesus to lead him to worship him as the Messiah? What changed? Now, before we answer that question, let me tell you, let me show you what Jesus says about Nathaniel. He says, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus is saying that Nathaniel is an Israelite who believed the Old Testament of God to be true. This meant that Nathaniel was willing to examine the evidence to see if Jesus truly was who he said he was. So Nathaniel responds, be like, oh, well, how do you know me, Jesus? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that's when Nathaniel freaks out. So, so what happened? Jesus just said, I saw you under the fig tree, and Nathaniel freaked out. What, why, why is he freaking out? What happened? Is it that Jesus saying he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, that Jesus had this all knowledge and he seen him and nobody else was around, but he still knew he was there? Is that what made Nathaniel freak out? Or is it the statement that Jesus says that rings true with Nathaniel and his understanding of the Old Testament? I would say it's probably both. I'm guessing there is something with Jesus' knowledge that takes place with him knowing where Nathaniel was prior to him actually coming. But, even more, I believe Jesus spoke to Nathaniel in words that only someone who knew the word of God would understand. He says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. In the Old Testament, to be under the fig tree... You look at Micah 4, and we'll read in Zechariah in just a sec. It was a prophetic statement to highlight the ministry of the Messiah's coming and bringing a time of prosperity and deliverance. Let me show you what I made me read, Zechariah 3, verses 8 through 10. I can read it for you. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, for behold, on that stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its, in its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of this in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and to come under his fig tree. This is in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8-10. to So, what does that mean? A time is coming when the branch of David, that is the Messiah, will atone for the sin of Israel, and not only Israel, but the nations. It will be for all those who come to Messiah. They will be forgiven. Their sins will be atoned for. In this day, there will be a time of restoration and peace. This is what Jesus tells Nathaniel when he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus says, I'm the branch. I'm the Messiah, the one that was to come. And bring this restoration. I'm the one that takes away the sin of my people and brings the nations to taste and see that Yahweh is good. Do you understand why Nathaniel is led to worship? Think about it. Israel's in captivity. They're under Rome's rule. They went from seeing the hand of God in Israel and in the wilderness and with Pharaoh. And now they've been in exile. God has been silent for the last couple hundred years. And the Messiah is saying, I'm here. That time of restoration, it's now. It's here. I'm the one you've been waiting for. So Daniel is led to worship. So what does this mean to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus means to know the word of God. And to know the word of God is to know Jesus the word of God is about Jesus. We look back in verse 45. It shows even the Old Testament points to Jesus. And when you know the word of God, it leads you to worship as we see with Nathaniel. So are you struggling to worship God? Maybe this is a season for you where you're struggling to worship God. Well, open up the word of God and see the beauty of Christ and it will lead you to worship Call out to him and let him use the word of God by the power of the Spirit to lead you to worship. You'll see that Christ is beautiful. Well, are you struggling to see Christ's beauty? Maybe you're like, man, yeah, I, I know, I want to open up the word, but I just struggle to see Christ as beautiful right now. I don't know why. Well, let me give you an example. Give you an illustration. If I can get everybody, kind of get a little interactive with me. Take your two hands in front of you. Pick up your two hands. Open up your, spread your fingers. Turn them around. And I put the hands together. Now, take your hands and put them in front of your eyes. Take your hands, put them in front of your eyes. Now, just look at something. I don't know. Look at the drums. Look up here at the screen. What what can you see? I mean, you can see a little bit of stuff. You can see a little bit of it. You can make out what the image is. But you can't really see it fully. You can't really see it fully. I mean, I can make it out. That is a set of drums. There's a guy up there who's really short, but I can't really see everything. So this is what happens when sin is in our life. Sin blocks us from seeing the beauty of Christ. Christ is as beautiful as he was 2,000 years ago as he is today. He's beautiful. The problem is is these distractions and these things in our life, these trinkets or whatever we like to call it, they're in our vision blocking us from seeing the glory of God. And what the Word of God does, the Word of God helps us to break away these things, clear these things out of our faiths. And when we take out of these distractions, it helps us to behold the beauty of Christ. So this is why you dive into the word of God. And it helps you worship him more. To truly follow Jesus is to worship him. And the reason we worship him is because he is worth it. Thirdly, and last point. Following Jesus brings greater things. Verses 50 through 51. I'll read it again. Jesus Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. You will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, first, we've seen Jesus making disciples and made disciples. And then we see Jesus being worshipped as he should be worshipped. And now finally Jesus is like, well, guess what? Even greater things than these you will see. So what's these greater things, Jesus? What greater things are you talking about? First, I'd like to point out that the you here, the you that will see these greater things is actually plural in the Greek. I hate bringing up the Greek, but it's actually helpful right here. Because it means that this you isn't just Nathaniel that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to all the disciples. And if he's talking to all the disciples, that means he's actually talking to us. So this, you will see the greater things, is for every follower of Jesus. So what is this greater things that we will see, Jesus? In order to answer this, again, we have to go back to the Old Testament. I love the fact that the word of God is always confirming each other. And you see Jesus being talked about in both Old and New Testament alone, showing his glory. So let's see, what does Jesus mean by this? It takes us back to Genesis chapter 28. Let me read you Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 17, regarding Jacob. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, a ladder set up on the earth, and to the top of it it reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've said I promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So what does this mean? Nature near East. It was common to see these big pyramid-type figures. So in other words, if you've ever seen these big pyramid-type things that look like there's stairs climbing up to get closer to the skies, these things, it's called a ladder here in our text, but it's actually called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was actually a temple built by men in order to reach their God. They would build these temples up, and they believed that God was in the sky and God was high, so if they built these temples, that would allow them to be closer to God. And that's what Jacob has a dream about. He has a dream about a ladder reaching heaven. But pay close attention to the difference of how Jesus interprets Genesis chapter 28. It's no longer a ladder or a ziggurat that the angels are ascending and descending upon. It's a person. Did you catch that? Let me read it again. You will see angels ascending and descending not on the ladder but on the Son of Man. Jesus is the ziggurat. That gap between heaven and earth, the way to reach God, it's now through Jesus. How is that possible? Well, this is the gospel. There's a gap between God and man. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's law and they sinned. Therefore, God said, if you sin, you will surely die. And what does that mean? There was a gap. There was a chasm between heaven and earth. Man could no longer be in right fellowship with God because of our sin. Many times in the Old Testament, it talks about sin, not being able to even be in the presence of God. He's holy. He's righteous. And because of our sin, we're not. So there's always been this gap ever since Adam and Eve sinned. But even right after Adam and Eve sinned, what happens? We get the first proclamation of the gospel. God says the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. Talking about the Messiah to come. So what happens? Jesus comes and he's saying, guess what? I'm the one who fixed that gap between God and man. I'm the ladder to heaven. And it wasn't a temple being built up to reach God. God comes down to reach us. We could never reach high enough in order to see God or to be with God. God had to come down to us, and Jesus saying, I am the one who's done this. God comes to man by way of me. So what does this mean about greater things? We now have access to God for everything we need in Christ. Since there is no longer a divide between us and God, everything we need when we pray to God, we have access to it. That's what Christ purchased by way of his death, burial, and resurrection. We're no longer distant and separated from God, but now we're family. We're called family of God. This is what Jesus does. So, what are these greater things? Well, think about it like this: Are you struggling right now with your faith? Well, since Jesus has died, you can call out to Him because He's made He's made a bridge between you and God. When you're struggling, you can call out to Him. Are you stricken with depression and anxiety? Call out to Jesus. You have access to the throne of God by way of what Christ has done. Are you in a spiritual slumber? Are you lukewarm in your faith right now? You have access to God through Christ. Call out to him. Is there sin in your life that you seem like you cannot shake? I keep going back to it. I try to fight it, but I keep going back to it. Call out to Jesus. You have access to God. You have everything you need in Christ to live a life of godliness. Or maybe it's a time of suffering. Maybe there's been some things that happen in your family, even with your own life, and you're struggling. And you're like, man, I don't feel like I can make it. God, I, just, I don't even know if I can make it through the rest of the day, let alone the week or the year. I don't think I can make it. Beloved, because Christ has died and rose again, he's given you access to God. You can call on him and he is near to you. You have a supernatural connection to God by way of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ. God is no longer distant, but he's here and he's near to you. And he's willing to do whatever that he sees fit. Now, remember, it's about him and his glory. So whatever he sees fit, what needs to be done, you have access to that. And he will do that in order to sustain you and keep you in this fallen world. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Church, this is the access that we have to God. We have everything we need in Christ. Following Jesus means we have greater things. Everything we need in this fallen world in order to worship God truly, we have it. These are the greater things that Jesus is talking about. So let's kind of bring it home. Let's kind of bring it all together. Here in John 1, we learn that those who follow Christ will make disciples. And those who follow Christ, they will worship him. And those who follow Christ will see greater things. You will see greater things. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if there's any visitors coming, you're like, man, this Christianity stuff. I mean, I've been hearing about it. Now, even as I'm listening to the message, it's starting to prick in my heart a little bit. I invite you to take heed to what the scripture says and follow Christ. There will never be a more important decision in your life than what you do with King Jesus. Never. In the words, the way that John talks, will you ignore him or will you follow him? It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between eternal suffering or eternal joy. And God created you for eternal joy. And if you're a believer today, maybe you need to reassess what does it mean to follow Jesus Maybe you need to think, man, man, yeah, I know I follow God, but I need to reassess, what does the scripture say following Jesus looks like? And as you do that, open up the word of God and let it lead you. Call out to your Savior. Call out to your God. Ask him to renew your affections for Christ. Why? Because you have access to him now because of what Christ has done. Call out to him. And God says, guess what? When you ask in His name according to His will, and guess what? His will is your sanctification according to Thessalonians. He will do it because it is His will. God is willing and He's able to keep you. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I call you to follow Christ and follow hard after Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, even as we dive into your words, in the Gospel of John, it's simple. Follow Christ and believe that even as we dive into this word, it is profound. We're only scratching the surface of the truth of your word, and I pray that your people here today would have a hunger for your word. That they will be led to follow you and follow hard after you, God. I pray that those who are struggling or suffering, um, whatever trials they may been going through, that you would meet them, God. In a society, we tend to be self-sufficient. We have so many blessings, so many good things that you've given us, but we rely on ourselves and we're not used to calling on someone else. God, And sometimes you allow us to be broken. You allow us to be sat down so we can be wholly dependent on you to know the access that we have to you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, that you would call them to yourself, you would be near to them, and you would take this word and work it in their hearts for your name'sake and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.